Hey friends, you're listening to the Hope and Heart Pills podcast where we're talking all things resilience and revolution. I'm one of your hosts, Andre Henry. And I am your other host, Trishes. And today we are joined by Jamie Varon. She is the author of Radically Content and recently published a novel called Main Character Energy. And Jamie and I have known each other for a while now. Um, and the reason I wanted to have Jamie on this show was because her work was really important in me curating a better sense of uh, self-worth and in me getting to a better place in my personal mental health journey. And I really wanted to share that with our listeners because this season we have been talking about um, mental health as a social justice issue and how our mental health is really impacted by systemic um, injustice. And even though that's not necessarily explicitly what Jamie's work um, discusses, it really resonates with me because uh, she's continuously talking about the structures that we uphold that make us feel um, like shit about ourselves. So <laughs> I I want to read um, just something from the introduction of Radically Content. Um, and then I would love to hear your journey to getting to a place of this knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> um, so in the beginning of Radically Content, she says, we have been socialized to both care about and uphold a value system that has been handed down to us and reinforced since birth. A value system that places emphasis on a hierarchy that purports that as long as someone is below us, we are doing okay in life. Um, resonates so much, so much with me, um, especially because of the the work that we do and um in the race equity space and um really observing the the hierarchy of white supremacy that really depends on that idea um so jamie i would love to hear how did you get to a place where you could write this incredible book well thank you for that amazing intro um i i would say that the only way that you can really write something like that is if you've been so fully entrenched in the system that you know how harmful it is you know that's how a lot of us come to this work is you are you feel that sense of injustice in your own life and that leads you to examine um you know why you feel that way cuz it you know something within you doesn't feel right you're like this can't be how it should be. Like, it can't be that we're all just pitting each other against each other. And we're always trying to get above each other. And, you know, that's why we judge. That's why we do all of these things is to feel a sense of I'm better. I'm better. You know, like that is so much of the culture. And I felt like part of it was, I just can't play this game. Like, I can't do it. It didn't feel good to me to do it. I didn't want to base my self-worth on how much better I was doing than everyone else or anything else. And it just didn't feel right. And so I really started examining that because there was so much in me that was delaying my joy. I didn't feel gratitude. I felt so like entrenched in that hustle culture. And, you know, even when I was supposedly resting um, or relaxing, I was still, you know, 
thinking and, and, and trying to figure out like, what's my next strategic move and how am I going to get this worth? Um, mm. cause for me, it came from worth, you know, that I felt like I didn't have worth unless I could achieve my way into it. And what ended up happening is I got all of, I, I, I managed to get a lot of the things that I thought would make me feel worthy and good enough. And then it didn't. So I was like, well, this is shit. Like what happened here? You know why this is just such a lie. Um, and that's really started the examination, but I've always kind of been like this ever since I was a kid, you know, I was like just a little, I would say like a little activist, you know, I was always like, don't say that and don't do that. Like to my brothers and my family, you know, of course I was born into a family that maybe wasn't as aware as me. And so I'd mm -hmm. be like, you can't say that you can't, everybody would always be like, Oh, Jamie, here we go. You know, <laughs> I was that annoying kid, but now I'm like, that was passion. And I knew what I was, <laughs> what I was talking about. Um, so it really came by way of just total organic, um, you know, and then, it was funny because I felt like a lot of people became aware of this in the pandemic. And I was like, well, here's my work, you know, that I've been working on and talking about and learning about and sort of, um, you know, wanted to, it, it kind of happened organically too, that this book came about and that my work started um, reaching more people. Um, but it's always been for me, there's a to me, there's like a personal journey to freeing yourself, but then there's also the journey where you have to recognize that like, there's a reason you're not free. Like there's a reason mm. that you feel this way. And it's, mm. I don't really love how so much is focused on like, well, it's your fault. And it's like, well, yeah. but, um, we're not born thinking this way. <laughs> right. Like we're socialized into thinking this way. So that feels like a real big part of my message and is, I think, just relieving people of the burden that like, it's not your fault, you know, like mm. we're taught this. So of course, you know, and we're taught it at a time where like, you're not thinking how, how can I be a more conscious person? You're like, you're a teenager, of course. Or like, you know, you're a kid, we get taught this stuff. Um, and so I think that's a really important part of what I've tried to talk to people about and what I've done with my writing is in my own subtle in my own way, be like, this isn't all on you. Like, of course, it's our responsibility to untangle from a lot of this, but also like, let's put the responsibility on the systems that right. have caused this pain within us. Like, let's put the blame in the right place, I guess, mm -hmm. instead of, I think, you know, with a lot of people who, you know, don't fit into those, how you're supposed to be quote unquote, um, the blame, I, I personally took on a lot of blame. Mm. Like I'm, I'm just, I need to change myself or I need to, you know, the reason I don't feel good enough is because I need to achieve more and I haven't done enough. And even when I started a self-love journey, I was like, I'm not allowed to love myself. I haven't done enough. I'm not perfect enough. I haven't hit these marks enough. And I was like, wow, that is some real bullshit that got conditioned into my head um, mm -hmm. without my consent. Um, and so I think that's been a real big part of the journey is saying like, it's just, it's not all on you. And there is a sense of responsibility you have to take over your life for sure. But I think the over thing of like, it's all on you. And like, you're wrong for thinking it's like, no, 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 no. We've been taught this. Um, and so that has always felt very near and dear to what I talk about. Um, kind of like that balance between 
yes, we're adults. We have to, you know, take responsibility and learn how to um, thrive within, but also not just say, well, it is what it is. I hate that for it is what it is. It's like, no, it's not is what it is. Like we have power. We right. we're seeing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Andre's um, Andre's phrases. It doesn't have to be this way. Yes. <laughs> yes, that I is love my, that. That's my <laughs> life's motto. It is the way you summarize my life's work is helping people understand exactly what you just said, that we have power. Mm -hmm. uh, when you just before we started recording, that reminded me you talked about how you you're careful about the way that you bring in that systemic view. Right. And bring attention to those systems. Right. How how do you do that? Because I, and I'm asking, honestly, that's a bit of a selfish question because I'm very Jamaican. So I'm just like, I don't like this. This is what it is. <laughs> Change it. Fix it. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think because uh, I guess the first thing that's coming to me is, you know, I'm white. So there is a there's a there's a consideration there as mm -hmm. like this isn't in some when there are some systemic issues when it comes to, for example, race, I mm -hmm. don't have lived experience about that. So mm -hmm. who am I to kind of be like, this is the, you know, it's like, doesn't feel like my place. And then I also do think that the way people learn when they're just starting out, like, I feel like I'm good at getting to people when they're not quite as into this world of social justice. So I'm yeah. like, let me bring you in subtly, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't know that it's anything I do super consciously. It's just the way that I take in information. It, it's the mm -hmm. way that I feel good about expressing it. It's like, I kind of want I've never been like an aggressive person. I'm so much more, and I don't, don't even mean aggressive in any kind of negative way. I think sometimes that aggressiveness is good. I mean, we need, mm -hmm. we need that passion sometimes, but I am more of like, I want people to, my, my thing is like, I want people to understand, mm -hmm. you know, like I, I'm, I just want people to understand why these systems are harmful to all of us. Like, even if you think you're benefiting from the system, mm -hmm. I'm like, I promise it's harming you, you know, like, yeah, it's not actually doing that well for you. So I, I kind of want to like sneak that in and have people understand it on a level where they go, Oh, I came to this conclusion myself, mm. with, you know, without having to be mm. like, here's how you should think, here's what you need to be doing. And, you know, because I think there's a time and a place for that, you know, when people have done this work, and they're ready for, yeah. you know, like there's stages to this. Yeah. yeah when, <clears throat> when they're ready to receive that information, it's like opening up the doors. Um, that makes me think of Stella in your book, Main Character Energy. So um, I really loved, I don't read fiction very often. So, yeah. but I was like, it's Jamie's book. I'm going to read it. Um, first, I loved that you would just be like white man white man like you, like someone's coming to deliver a package and you would just like describe them as they are um but in the book there's there's four women who are on this like writing journey and they all have intersectional marginalized identities um so the main character, she's a woman and she's in a larger body and there's um, two women of color and there's an the older woman and there's a queer woman. Um, so five women. Um, and I 
I really loved how you used their conversations within themselves to sort of like uncover these things, like you're saying. Um, and Stella, she's like the beautiful, like model, statuesque one. Um, and she's even like saying, yeah, the system, it's like rigged in my favor so often and it's still not good for me. Um, I'd love to hear if you feel like you're how your marginalized identities have um, helped you understand bigger social justice issues and how you're really able to take that intersectionality into your work? I love that question. Um, yeah, I mean, growing up, not fitting into the, you know, thin woman um, archetype, I felt like I was able to get a clear understanding for myself of like what it feels like when you don't fit in because you you do feel like an outsider and you do feel like you have to find something outside of the norm and the system to be able to even like like yourself, you know, like you can't if you follow the way of the world and you and you are in a marginalized identity, you will just be absolutely miserable, right? Because it's telling you you're not good enough. It's telling you you're not worthy. You're not valuable. And, and it's, it's more so saying like, the more that you can cuddle up to this image of who you're supposed to be, to um, be happy and valuable in this world, the better off. So it's like, of course, that's why I wanted to lose weight, right? It's like, oh, because it seems like, that will get me more acceptance into this very narrow view of, you know, it's like the nice little combo of the patriarchy and white supremacy and all the things, you know, and then ableism, uh, so many things, right? It's this constant um, combo of like, as long as you can get wherever they say you're supposed to be, you'll be protected, you'll be safe. And I just was like, I don't, I don't think it's true. And that's why, for example, when you're talking about Stella um, in the book, you know, I, I wanted to show that like, even her, like, she doesn't win either, you know, like she has all the things, but then it's like, okay, she's not taken as seriously, or, you know, she's seen as um, less of a whole person or people want something from her. And it's just like, so we don't win. Like we don't mm -hmm. win even when we get as close as possible to the non-marginalized, you know, ideal and typical norm um, and the conventional, how you're kind of like supposed to be. And there's this big promise, I think. What I what I realized was the promise is such a lie um, because mm. the promise is like, if you're light enough and thin enough and this enough and male enough and this enough, you know, all these things you're like, Oh, then you'll be okay. And it's like, but, but then you're not. And then you're, you're only, your okayness is based on other people not being okay. So it's like, wow. Ooh, that feels, you know, you have to really, to be okay in that sense, you have to cut off your humanity. Mm -hmm. Because then you have to, you have to, if you have humanity, you have to reckon with the fact that like, you are only okay, because other people are not okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. like, you know, it's only hetero, you know, heteronormity, normativity is only good, because good in quotes, mm -hmm. because being queer is not as good. Right. And it's like, Oh, okay, you know, for example, and it's like, yeah. mm, that doesn't feel 
how did, how would that feel good? And so no wonder we have people in power who are so disconnected from their humanity, because the only way you can continue to be in power in that sense is by disconnecting from humanity. And so I just kind of was like, this all started to make sense to me because, um, I was like, the only way that I feel, the only reason I feel like shit in a bigger body is because there's an idea that being thin is better and it gives you more or it gives you something. Um, And I was like, what if I don't subscribe to that value system? Then Mm -hmm. how, then I'm free, you know, like in that sense, Mm -hmm. in that area of my life. Um, And then I was like, what if we all stop stop subscribing, which is why in Radically Content, a big part of the narrative and the the, um, thing is opting out. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a really unsatisfying thing for a lot of people who maybe want more of a tangible self-help. But I'm like, that's kind of the way, like you got to opt out of the the system that's telling you to do more and be more and, and get thinner and get closer to this ideal because then what do you have? Then you're just like perpetuate. It's like, then when you supposedly win, you're perpetuating the exact same system you were just trying to get out of. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. how you win. It's Mm -hmm. like, whoa, it makes my mind. I feel like I'm not like mind blowing gif you know i'm like wait a second here this doesn't make sense yeah i i read this quote to andre before um we all got on and we were like mm, um there's so much trauma inflicted on others by people who refuse to reckon with themselves who refuse to take responsibility for their own healing who think they can achieve their way into feeling whole The grasp for power is a way to bypass healing. And that is really profound when thinking about the people that I look at and um, that I look at and sort of like despise the people that I look at. I'm like, how can you be perpetuating these ideals? Like, how can you be putting yourself before? before the good of humanity and other people. I'm wondering if you have any sort of advice um, in how we can reframe our relationship to maybe people who don't really understand these ideals or who are actively harming and oppressing others how we can reframe um, the way we see them in in that they are actually wounded and trying to um, trying to bypass their own healing. Yeah, I mean, I never want to negate how harmful those types of people are because they have so much power and they are perpetuating so many harmful systems. And it's like, you're literally creating wealth and equity, but all right, you know, good, good job. Um, I, but I actually at this point probably look at them with pity because I'm just like, wow, that's a real empty, like if you need that much and you have cut yourself off from your humanity that much that you don't think that what you're doing is harmful. Like you actually think this is just business. Um, 
and you're not able, I mean, look at what we just saw with the writer's strike. I mean, those studios really thought they were doing the right thing. And it's like, really, really, Mm -hmm. you think you deserve that much more and you cannot spread these profits out. That's, that's wild. Um, I do look at it as pity and I do look at, at that as there is a wound so wide that the only thing they think they can do is consume more and um, like take in more and take and take and take. And I don't know if how to solve it, obviously, but I do think that the more we awaken just the same way, like I'll use the writer's strike as a perfect example, the way that it was so supported and the way that there was so much unity, it's like that because people are aware that what they're doing is just so ridiculous. Like you cannot, can you like people cannot continue to support that. I think that came from a raise in consciousness. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there were people that, that probably maybe four years ago would have not supported that strike, you know, even people outside of the unions. Um, But in seeing it for what it is, you know, I, I think, the anger is warranted. I think, of course, it's always justified when there's so much injustice. But I also think that to me, I start my way of looking at things. And maybe this is why I do come at things in a more subtle way with my social justice is like, I'm not I don't want to be right. I want things to change. Mm. Like I just want things to change. You know, right. I'm like, whatever way we can do it, because I'm just so sick of how things are. You know, I'm like, this sucks. Like we should all, there's so much room available for us to all be happy and to all, mm. you know, like there's just no reason for this. And so I'm just like, what can we do to understand more why this is happening? And so I think that's my reframe because I know I can get caught up in sometimes of like, no, I'm the right one. And I'm just like, well, they think Mm -hmm. they're right. You know, Mm -hmm. like, unfortunately, through their own worldview and what they've been told and anybody that we like, they think they have. If I sat down with them, they would probably be able to list out the reasons why they think they're right. Mm -hmm. And so I have to realize that they think that. So how can I sort of approach this in a way where it's like, can we find a common ground? Like I found with people that they're on totally opposite sides of the political spectrum. I'm like, there's so much that we share. I mean, not there's, they're not always, but you know, there is some fundamental things of like, yeah, we, resources should be shared and we shouldn't be pitted against each other. And Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm like, yeah, we're going about it in totally different ways. And your way is real, kind of real harmful. But I mean, yeah, we're, we kind of all share similar things. Um, so I think in that sense, I guess it, I mean, I don't know if I'm answering the question that well, because it's a really hard question to answer because, yeah. you know, people deserve to feel angry and it's okay, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and I don't think that anyone should be talked out of like, oh, you should just be understanding of them. But if you can get to that place, it is more peaceful, And then you might be able to see a solution that maybe wasn't available in a more activated state. And that doesn't mean they, they, we absolve them from accountability, but maybe we can try to figure out a way to not be right. And instead be a change and actually Mm. see things shift in a very positive way. Um, Because 
I just, I think I understand now that like they think they're right and they have justified it to themselves. And it's like, all right, well, I can't change your mind on that, but I can maybe see if there's a way to help you understand that what you're doing is harmful to people. Mm -hmm. I, I think for me, the, the reframing is, is almost for my own mental health. Yeah. Um, and I found that the, the more like internet trolls I have, the more at peace I am with them. It's mm -hmm. been a really interesting thing to just be like, wow, that's like kind of sad. Like every time I post something, you need to be mean to me. Yeah. And like, where does that come from that mm -hmm. you need to do that? Um, so I think for for my mental health, it's been really useful to be able to learn new ways to reframe someone like people I would like to think of as like enemies because that's not helpful. Um, and it's also just bad for me. Um, I think something that we have noticed a lot uh, through discussing this is that in social justice spaces, often people expect that they should be angry or sad, like almost mm -hmm. as if in order to do that work, like you have to be. That? Sometimes like out of a sense of duty, right? It's like uh, if you're yeah. serious about if you're really radical. <laughs> yeah. Show me your scars. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so I the next thing I wanted to talk about was um, the idea of martyrdom that you use a, a few times in Radically Content. Um, you said, but empathy can slide itself right into martyrdom if you're not careful. You can be sensitive to other people's experiences, but that doesn't mean you have to lessen your own or curb your joy or complain out of habit or make your happiness seem less than it is. I think that's a really important thing for, for people in these spaces to hear. And I'm wondering how, when you are constantly surrounded by sort of just icky sad things and like and, and and thinking about these structures often um do you have any tips of being able to still curate your own sense of joy while acknowledging that the world is an imperfect place mm -hmm. yeah I think you have to hold two things at the same time and like you said I mean it's about recognizing that what you need can sometimes be different than what the cause needs too. And that's okay. You know, like there's only so much that can be given from, I mean, we, uh, people say this a lot, like from the empty cup, but I also think that, um, I guess it goes back to like, what's the vision of the world? Like if the vision is like, what are you fighting for? Are you fighting for, for me, I'm fighting for a world where people grow up and feel valued and worthy without having to question that. Like, to me, that would make the world a totally different place. Like if you just that wasn't a question and there weren't these hierarchies and systems. Wow. What an incredible world that would be. 
And to me, I'm like, that's a joyful world. So I know that sometimes fighting with joy can create different outcomes, you know? And so um, I also think that if, if whatever you're fighting against, if you're using the same energy, what you're fighting against, it's like, then it might come back to, because I had to be really honest with myself about the, am I just wanting to be right thing? Like that mm. really stuck out to me because I was like, damn, I think sometimes I'm not trying to find a solution. I'm just trying to be right. And that does mm. not feed into a healthy, um, that's not mental health. That's not peace. That's not yeah. joy, you know? And so I look at it as like, it's the same way where people, you know, another cliche, it's like, you don't fight for peace, right? Like we have to, um, there has to be other methods, I think. And there are some methods where you really do have to fight for what you believe in. But I think also maybe we can change the definition of what it means to fight. Like what mm. you're saying of like, does fight, does that fight have to look like anger and staying in the energy of that injustice or can the fight be an exaltation of like this is where we deserve to be like mm -hmm. why don't we act as if this is the world that we're yeah. fighting for and yeah maybe we try that you know it's like maybe we see how that feels and I'm not saying I have any of the answers <laughs> I'm not in no way could I ever say that I have the answers but I'm on the same wavelength as you where it's like I can't stay in that I don't feel affected actually when I'm in that and I don't think any of the art that I've created from that place has been particularly effective mm -hmm. whereas what I've what the art that comes from a place of like I want I'm gonna feel the way that I wish this world felt yeah. does seem to elevate like how people um interact with it. And so I'm just like, I'm, I'm trial and error with that, you know, because I do think there's, there's so many different methods, but I also know that, you know, it can veer towards, well, the world is on fire and everything sucks. And what's the point of anything? And I think, I do think we're kind of in that right now as a collective. Mm -hmm. I'm like, Ooh, I think some of the, some of the hope has drained out. Um, and I get it cause it can be relentless, but I also think that um, it's not like we, I think we often think that like happiness and joy and hope are like flimsy emotions compared to like anger and yes. fight and rage and all of that. And I'm like, I don't know. Love is a pretty powerful emotion. I mean, love can change the tides of a lot of things. You know, when we do things from love, like, for example, I'll go back to the strike just because it's fresh in my mind where it's just like, that was that movement was out of love for the profession for um for the act of making things and mm -hmm. creating and bringing life to the screen like that was built from love i mean from friends who were on the picket lines like it was it was fun like they were mm -hmm. banded together and i'm like interesting you know and i'm not saying that works every time but i'm just like i don't think we need to ever underestimate the power of love for sure and I think coming from a place of saying like, I love, I love humanity and I mm -hmm. want to see it better for us. That 
that's pretty powerful too and shouldn't be underestimated. Yeah, I think for me, I feel like if if we're fighting for a world that people feel valued and loved and can experience joy, then I need to seize every opportunity that I can experience that because that's what I'm fighting for. So ultimately, like I I I need to um embody that as well. Um, I know we are running out of time oh, here, but we always wrap it up with one question, Andre. Oh, you you want me to ask it? I can ask it. I you, was excited. It just seems like your question. I'll ask it. No, I mean, Ross, like, I'm going to ask the You never do. So <laughs> I like, never do. You never do. So I was like, oh, yeah, take it. <laughs> Jamie, what keeps you going? Mm. I mean... It's going to sound like silly after what we just talked about, but I think it's love, you know, Mm. like I, I literally think that the love of creating the love of expressing myself, the love of connection, the love of the hope of a better world. Um, it really gets me up. It, It really gets me up in the morning. I'm just like, because I don't think love is weakness at all. I'm like, I think it's, I think it, it fuels fires, you know? So I'm just like, I, I love, I love the idea of a world where we're all working together and actually, you know, um, communicating. And I love the idea of art and creativity. And so it just, you know, it's never, I don't think I've ever gotten out of bed for, uh, well, another day, you know, like I, I get out of bed for hope, you know, and I get out of bed for, um, kind of being able to live to see another day and see what progress can be made in my own life and in, you know, in the world in general. Well, thank you so much for being here, Jamie. Thank you for having me. This was wonderful. Yeah, so wonderful to meet you. And thank you for your work. Yeah, you too, Andre. Thank you. Trish, do you want to do you want to do our outro? I don't even know how the outro goes, but I think Ross is going to tell you some stuff about us now. <laughs> <laughs> Bye, everybody. Let's leave, it just, let's leave it just like that. I really. I'm going to edit that out. Just keep it. <laughs> I think we should keep it. Thanks for choosing to listen today. You can catch up with our hosts online. Trish's is at Trish's Music. That's spelled T R I S H E S Music on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Andre is at the Andre Henry on Instagram and TikTok and at Andre Henry on Twitter. Catch the songs you heard today and more of their music on Spotify. If you'd like to support what we're doing here and see the video of Andre and Trisha's conversation, you can join the Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Andre Henry. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.